Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here once again with my good friend, Dr. Peter Rollins. We're here today to tell you all about the concept of the superfan, or what might otherwise be known as the parasocial relationship, a concept which originated in the 50s, I believe as a result of a sociologist and someone involved in marketing, but more on that later. Pete has all sorts of philosophical ideas about superfans. I personally consider myself a superfan of quite a few people. One of them recently passed away. He was a star of a sitcom that I really liked called Friends. He uh, did a lot of sarcastic things, and you can probably understand that a large portion of my personality was formed by, of course, Matthew Perry. However, who also takes the headlines these days is Dr. Taylor Swift. She is a master and a scholar of business, a recent billionaire. She is able to boost sales of football jerseys, even perhaps YouTube uh, podcast videos like <laughs> this one. And nice, the one nice. That I'm also, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's all it's all tied together. Um, I see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and if there's one market that we need. That I think would bet that really is ours. It's the Swifty um, market. But Taylor Swift released a movie. It directly to theaters went around the system. It got all this money and it upset people who were going to see the Martin Scorsese film because there were little girls and I'm sure boys dancing around the floor of uh, the theater and screaming throughout the experience, therefore ruining the movie next door. But I tend to think stuff like that is very cute. However, it can be kind of weird when people get obsessed with celebrities. Pete, do you have any celebrities that you're obsessed with who are alive? Well, you know, I will tell you this. I um, I listened for the first time ever to Taylor Swift about two weeks ago. I listened to what? the album Midnight. Is it Midnight? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Midnight. Midnight, and yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Midnight's very... Second. Midnight's a very good... I was I uh, so I might I might be a Swifty now. I I mean I've I've heard a couple Ah. of her songs probably in the radio or something, but I've never listened to her. And then I listened to that album, and as I say, I was like, God, this is actually so. Maybe yeah, I'm a fan of maybe not a super fan, but I'm I'm a fan now of Taylor Swift. So there you go. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, Mm. Did you hear the one where she goes, hey, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me? That's a a good one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Is that my favorite? My favorites are when she gets really aggressive and kind of really kind of like, kind of attacking partners and exes. And, you know, like she's got one about, what's it called? Sweet revenge or something like that it's very good karma is a great song yeah so i was oh, I, karma. Yeah. yeah i was um very impressed karma's her boyfriend yeah, yeah karma's her boy- right. Par- karma uh, <laughs> is her guy on the weekend or whatever i dude we i saw her live um for her eras tour, and it was <laughs> I, truly i saw that by the way on your instagram because you were pretending it was something else you were going to I can't remember, yeah. and then you showed the inside of it, and I was so confused because it was who? Who did you say you were going to see? Ben Folds. Ben Folds, uh, <laughs> markedly less popular. And then, and then you, and then, but my brain, I couldn't compute. I was like, that. How can that be a Ben Folds concert? <laughs> that really got people. I got a lot of like responses on that. I was like, oh, because the plan too was I had tickets to see a Ben Folds concert 
the next week. And so I was going to the next week go. Uh, I was going to say, I'm going to a Taylor Swift concert. I'm so excited. And then it was going to be Ben Folds. And it was so uh, it was a long play. But then we couldn't go uh, to the concert because it was right when the treatments were popping off. But it was that was the that's the kind of mastermind, um, you know, just what can I say? Playing the it's, long um, game. That's good. It's I like a gift. That. <laughs> uh, so what do you, you you were mentioning um, when we tried recording this several times, but due to technical difficulties, weren't able to. You actually you have a philosoph a philosopher about to talk about this. Yeah. So I was going to throw in something, but I'm also interested in what you think about this idea of the parasocial relationship. So this might connect or it might not. But I was thinking of like who is the original celebrity uh, and. You know, the original celebrity is God, really. Um, and for, okay. Feuerbach... I was going to say Elvis. Elvis, yes. Well, same difference. You know. um, and yep. it was Feuerbach who most clearly stated a mechanism that's really interesting. So I'm, I really like Feuerbach. I don't... I've got a different position. But the basic thing that Feuerbach says has become so... Um, uh, second nature now that I think all of us to some extent agree with this, right? But for Feuerbach, it really, it's about projection. That for him, the human species uh, has all this potential and the human species can't know that potential. We've got all this creative potential. We can, we can create technologies. We can, you know, bring uh, resources to everybody. Like there's these potentials we have, intellectual potentials to uh, understand the universe, et cetera, et cetera. And Feuerbach says the first thing we have to do is we project out that essence, that potential onto something else. And when we do that, we're able to actually see ourselves, but we initially always, always see ourselves as another. Um, through another and that is God for Feuerbach right so God is a projection of humanity's potential and as theology develops it gets more and more sophisticated and it really helps to see actually something about the human potential and then for Feuerbach he says the next stage is a type of introjection where we then have to take back that essence and understand that that is what we as a species can achieve so that, of course, then, you know, it, it develops into Marx, who does something different. He, by the way, says God is not the, um, the projection of the human essence, but God is the projection of human ideals, human ideology. So if you want to know what your society values, look at their gods, which actually is important when it comes to our sec secular gods, our celebrities. But you basically... Was, is he you the know, one that said, look at the horizon? Like, if you want to know what a city worships, look at their horizon and the buildings that they have on their horizon are what they worship. And so for us, we have like skyscrapers and banks and, um, you know, all, all capital symbols of capitalism and money and wealth. Um, I don't know that quote, but that I think I fits, that fits neatly if you want to okay. do a little bit of research. Because <laughs> that, that's kind of it is you kind of see yourself through the mirror of society. Um, or at least you see your values through the mirror of society. In fact, that's what, that's what cultural critique is and philosophy is. But with the Frankfurt School is largely the idea that if you want to critique society, look at the products it creates. Look at the movies, look at the books, look at the art, both the high art and the low art. And it, it tells you something. It's kind of a lens through which you can kind of reify and understand the values of society. Nice. Um, and then I'll just very quickly say how that then 
is also connected with the individual. This notion that actually every infant, in order to come to know itself, at first has to see itself through another, through a mirror. And this is very important. I'm sure we'll talk about the mirror phase uh, throughout this podcast. But this notion that um, an infant... Uh, it's almost like an infant is a Cartesian subject. And by that, I mean an infant experiences themselves as a dualism, mind and matter. They've got a mind, but their body doesn't really do what their mind wants. It's like a bad VR game where you're trying mm-hmm. to do things and it's not really working. So an infant experiences themselves as a type of Cartesian subject without the penal gland. They're, they're not linked together. And nice. what, yeah, what happens often is, well, what the infant then sees someone externally who seems to connect mind and matter, who seems to have mental abilities and be able to control their bodies and be able to do things. And often it's the mirror of, say, their siblings. Oh, your brother or your sister or something like that. And uh, your mother, say, for example, says, oh, you're just like your brother. So they mirror back. You're seeing that your brother seems to be in control of themselves where you're just you know, you're not, not able to be in control. And you link that back to yourself and you know that helps build your ego ideal um i think i'm saying all of that because i think in super fandom there's something about projecting a dimension of some sort of perfection onto another uh that is a reflection of our own ideals in a kind of alienated way so there's a bit of philosophy to start us off (laughs) Wow, look at that. I mean, it's mm. like a podcast. We're doing podcast stuff. It's like we're yeah. talking about stuff, and you're just talking. <laughs> I'm talking, you're talking, dude. Um, yeah. yeah. I just felt also I had to stop because I go, like, we can't do too much philosophy, otherwise, people will shut off. Woo. <laughs> Woo. Um, yeah, we were getting close to the line there. Yeah, I tell yeah. You, I think you we think, really were. Um, <laughs> did you. Did you like on Saturday when I texted you the image of uh, scientists saying that roosters can see their own reflections, and I said cock lacan? Yes, I like that very much. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the mirror phase, a little mirror mirror phase yeah. joke. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the uh, in, in parasocial stuff and the super fandom stuff, and it definitely all seems like projection. I was thinking about it in terms of the more like Winnicott and Kohut kind of deal, and then the transference of all, you know, it's like the self-object needs that you project on. You go, oh, I'm missing something in the psyche and I'm going to project it onto this. I'm going to see it in this person and they're going to carry it for me. And then mm-hmm. eventually I'm going to have to take that projection back and I'm going to have to, to be whole. And it's like a, it's like a in between uh, time. And I think it's really, I think it makes sense because you're seeing it happens with a particular age demographic, it seems like. I mean, I don't know many people who are my age who are super fans of anything. And it's like, it seems a very natural, normal thing to be like, I am obsessed with this person and then, you know, returning somewhat to normal. I mean, I still kind of do that. I think we all do. But it seems yeah. like I think the whole parasocial relationship thing is thrown around so much and people are constantly acting like it's this big, bad thing. And I think it's a little overblown. I also don't really know that it's a real idea that was what i was like because i was looking into this whole thing and it is i think interesting that the whole concept i believe came from marketing like it wasn't like a psychological um like thing or like a philosophical idea it was just people being like we're gonna call this a parasocial relationship and if you go and look at like i did um i went into like these research databases that i can go into because i was like oh this will be fun and i 
searched for parasocial relationship and all of the research on it was again all tied to advertising and being like these are people who you can just sell a lot of products to because they have placed such an immense amount of trust in the people that they have a parasocial relationship with that you can basically they'll buy anything from They, they trust the influencer more than they trust the celebrity uh and the original term parasocial relationship i think comes from parasocial interaction which is the one that i mentioned earlier that came up in the 50s but it seems like we actually throw it around like a bludgeoning tool now more than uh is necessary yeah no that that makes sense and it's not a term that i've seen any you know much serious work around or anything like that but i I do think that very interesting you bring up that it's a certain age that that this happens often like teenage um and that i haven't thought about that before but if if you look at the like you're almost looking at three defense mechanisms that are involved here kind of like very closely connected splitting projection and idealization and you know projection is as you know the putting out of some dimension of yourself onto the other um sometimes it's a very bad part of yourself that you put onto the other to distance yourself from that and then you can slag off somebody else yeah oh they're the intolerant ones look how intolerant they are but actually yeah yeah, and it's our it's our way of kind of like disavowing our own intolerance and actually being able to express our intolerance while thinking it's the other person (laughs) very clever um splitting obviously which is a very very basic defense mechanism uh which individuals don't do very much unless you're kind of more psychotic, but as, as you mentioned in politics, it's very common, political splitting. Um, and then idealization, which is where you split off the best per- part of yourself. Like We'll come back to that. But some part, you, you put some ideal onto, onto the other. And also then you stay with the shitty part of yourself. So a lot of these super fans potentially... Uh, they're putting into the bank of Taylor Swift all of their uh, yeah. money, all of their creative cash, <laughs> and uh, so they feel ultimately impoverished. Uh, but but it's a defense mechanism that is protected. Oh, and here's the thing: this is where you know again, when you have a deeper understanding of, I think what how religion functions, where you go, well, what if one of the functions of at least kind of superstition or religion was. Uh, this projection and idealization, it's, an, it's a kind of necessary stage. That's what Feuerbach argued. That's why he said, I'm a friend of theology. He said, like, we have to do this. It's not, you know, so if you get rid of religion, it's not that you get rid of idealization, projection and splitting. You don't get rid of those. They just find, yeah, <laughs> they find different places, you know. So it's not God now for Feuerbach. It's Taylor Swift. Um, it really is her because... Uh, hey, it's her, it is, whatever her line is. Um, a, a quick thing of clarification, too, because I know you were mentioning the political thing, and, like, what was the... It's splitting, and what was the first one? Oh, projection. Where you get projection, you get angry at the other... Oh, you put the bad stuff on the other people. Like, I know you do that politi- with politics, yes, but I know... That, like, I know you do that. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah. Taylor Swift, when I was at that concert, dude, it was, like... It was the like a religious experience. I was talking mm-hmm. to some buddies about this recently. It was so overwhelming that like, I couldn't, I, I will probably never forget it. Even though what I don't really remember the concert itself that well, but when it started and the amount of people and the intensity of their like devotion to this person, it was like, this is, 
this this woman has more power than is fathomable right now and she is able to do that while seeming like she's just like you know just doing her thing uh which has her little like i'm just me brand um and she's mastered it but the religious aspect of it is pretty wild and yeah i like your point that even if we got rid of religion all those mechanisms would still be there that would ultimately make something else out of that would make something else a religion basically. Yes. is that what you're saying yeah yeah they these these defenses are as old as time itself and they're also not necessarily problems they're solutions to problems the issue is whenever they become so rarefied and so strong that uh you know because the idea partly is uh, with transitional objects is that say a child uh is experiencing the world and it's terrifying absolutely terrifying this massive world it's a dangerous world they can't really protect themselves they're fully reliant on their parents for everything which is very different from basically almost every other animal on the planet right that um, almost from birth can walk and can feed itself and there's no infant yeah. could do that you know so we are we have this massive stage of complete dependence on some other um and uh oh what was i saying um it's good it's, I, good. it's good stuff good stuff oh yeah so uh, i'll keep i'll keep trucking i'll find the right point again oh yeah so the um, oh i can jump in oh yeah are you about to get arrested oh can you hear the police oh yeah there's yeah. A, lot of, a lot of sirens going past um yeah the uh what well, it's because of the um we walk Right? Isn't that why we have to? Our babies are so s- s- dumb. Is because we <laughs> the the walking and the uprightness of the um, causes the pregnancy to occur or the birth to occur to occur sooner than it does in the rest of the animal kingdom. Where uh, it, so because it happens sooner, it's actually happening too early. Humans have their babies too early. Yeah, we're pre yeah prenatal or pre yeah basically preborn. No, I've yeah I've also heard theories about the size of our brains and yeah all of that. But we definitely uh, have a long stage where we're completely dependent. Oh yes, yeah, so I guess what I was trying to connect that to was, um, you know, I really have lost my way. Can you remember what I was talking about? Oh, I never can. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what the subject of this um, podcast is. I was thinking about a conversation, a totally different conversation. Oh, great. Uh, that I was having a buddy of mine yesterday, um, and he was telling me about uh, his foray into a certain nook of QAnon um, that has a theory that Donald Trump, no stranger to people's projections, good and bad, uh, is a time traveler. Okay. Uh, and I was like, time traveling, like, I was like, what, how, what is the, what's the time traveling? And he was like, he explained that there is a book from like the 1850s called like, or the 1890s that's called The Adventures of Baron Trump. And in The Adventures of Baron Trump, he goes into the future and there is a third world war. And then in the second one, he is known as the last president of the United States. And I was like, sold. I was like, I believe you. I was like that. And I was like, is it actual time travel or is it like he's reincarnated or something like is born in this time? And he was like, no, straight up, there's a time machine. And I was like, awesome. I was like, I got no notes. And, uh, And so I wanted to share that with you because I thought you would think it was 
That's good. I like that. I like that. That's very compelling. I'm kind of wondering whether, I was just thinking when you were saying, um, like you could almost say there's a neurotic way of believing that, a perverse way of believing that, and a psychotic way of believing that. So if you're neurotic, you might take a conspiracy theory like that and you believe it, but deep down you know it's bullshit. But kind of you have doubts, you're not sure, you're questioning, right? And your confidence is really reaction formation that's the opposite. If you're a perverse subject, and I'm not saying that this is how you believe, I know, uh, sure. but no. yeah, yeah, is disavowal where, yeah, where you can fully believe it while at the same time going, I know it's not true, right? So that's the perverse kind of belief is you can fully believe it at the same time as going, I know it's not true. Nevertheless, I believe it is. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, and then the psychotic form of believing it is you literally absolutely believe it and you cannot not believe it. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so which one are you? I like all of them. <laughs> yes. I'm probably the middle one. I, you know, yeah. I like, I like to kind of, I like to be mildly perverse in my, yes. uh, cause I was doing this with, <laughs> I, I was talking to a buddy going to, um, doing stand up, like getting, doing a couple open mics again. And I was working on bits, but one of them was about, uh, how just like incredibly I'm like giving up the idea of not being gullible. Like I, I think I want to be as gullible as possible and embrace the yeah. idea of like believing in goblins, for example. And then I started doing, like I was writing the bit and I got caught up like classic in the, in the, you know, internet being like, well, dang, there are people who believe in goblins and there are people who believe in these things. And I was like, what if I'm just a prude? Like, what if I'm, what if I'm wrong? But I also think they're projecting onto some sort of dark, big other, some secret thing that's happened. They're projecting that there's a cabal of people that are pulling the strings it's like a reverse super fandom that you don't have catchy music with and you don't even get to have posters of the people because you don't know what they look like yes i mean that's that's the ultimate kind of uh psychotic um experiences where you feel that there is behind the scenes someone you cannot point to who's both everywhere and nowhere who's controlling kind of everything but here I, one of the things that i have seen a lot of and i have a very close friend who is struggling with this at the moment. Um, he is somebody who at different times in his life has believed in another world, right? So which is totally normal. A lot of people believe there is, this is the realm of appearances and there is a real reality behind the realm of appearances. So, you know, goes right back to Plato, right. the real, Plato. all of that. Yep. So very common idea. Uh, he was religious for a long time and, and really believed in, you know, a realm of angels and demons and spiritual warfare, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. But then he's no longer religious. That's way, way past him. But he finds himself sometimes enjoyably so, but often not enjoyably so, uh, falling into the idea that we are in a virtual reality and experiencing, again, exactly the same structure, that this is an, a realm of appearances uh, and there is a real kind of world. And he took some drugs, a very small amount of drugs, and threw him absolutely into that, into that world. But I find that I know a lot of people who that is something, it's not just a belief, because there's one thing believing, right, we live in a realm of appearances, behind this realm is, is the real. Sure. But it's another to find yourself tyrannized by that and find yourself kind of like 
walking around in the world, feeling it to be completely unreal, and and then maybe meeting aliens when he, like this was just weed that he did, right? And but put him in Whoa. a realm where he was meeting aliens, yeah. Um, so it was quite you know a, a slight break, um, and. Interestingly, I kind of go, sometimes these beliefs might be just show how much people are not enjoying and how anxiety producing the contemporary world is that we want to disassociate ourselves. We want to kind of like, in a sense, break a break out of this reality into something else. And conspiracy theories play into that. But I think the kind of the predominant conspiracy theory that is the most obvious example of that is that we are in a virtual reality. Um, nice. I um, going back to the fandom or whatever. When mm-hmm. um, there's been like everybody does the thing where a celebrity dies, and then everyone goes on the internet and they're like, "Let me say something about it." And I mm-hmm. try not to do that if I don't actually give a darn or didn't wasn't a big fan of the because it just seems like noise, and everybody kind of wants to do their like yes. token like bah thing. But you, you just do uh, it in Matthew, order to get attention. You just, you know, you, right. if you do it because you want people to look at you, not the other. Yes. I, I want to make sure I feel like I'm better than other people when I yes. do it. And yep. when, even when I don't do it, I want to feel like I'm better than people who are doing it. And that's hundred percent where I get my, what you might call enjoyment. Yes. I don't know if you've heard that. That's a Lacanian <laughs> thing. Um, but I, uh, I was like, man, I, I'm going to post this little thing. And it was, I was so sad. I was just like really bummed about, Matthew Perry, and then it was like the same thing with Robin Williams, it was the same thing with Norm MacDonald, uh, and I was like, oh, it's interesting, like, just to look at this, because I'm getting, uh, I, I don't know, older, but, like, I'm not as in my early 20s anymore, uh, and so celebrities, it's, you know, going to be more normal when they pass away, because that's how time works, but uh, I definitely was like, oh, I'm actually bothered by this, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, I grew up watching a sitcom loving the sitcom wanting to be on a sitcom idealizing every aspect of what it was it informed partially my moving to los angeles that character informed partially my personality and then it also was this thing that was on tv all the time so these people were in the uh the living room and they were in New York, and it was this, like, fake set or whatever. But it became such a huge part of my life that I think when it, you know, all of a sudden goes away, it reminded me, like, oh, that was a show. That was all make-believe. That was just on a set somewhere. But it's so ingrained in me that I'm like, no, it must be that, you know, uh, it, it, some part of me still thought that sitcom world was, like, real. And it's not. And then this guy passes away, and I'm like, man, that's crazy that, like, these people these characters even though they're fictional still take up a pretty significant chunk of like my brain yeah. and when they go away it's like and i'm confronted with their falseness i'm like whoa that's a bummer so and yeah and the key with friends is because it was one of the the cultural phenomenon of the time is that you know what was it about friends that allowed us to project so much onto it and the fact that it was just called friends and it was a group of friends um it, I, I didn't, I've watched a few of them, but I didn't watch a lot, but, so I, I can't speak with any authority, but I'm guessing that in a, in, a, in a world, kind of 20th century, late 20th century, where meaninglessness and loneliness um, is, is rife, just watching, and probably not very funny show, but that just shows a type of 
meaning and friendship and warmth, it kind of goes like, oh, is that the kind of uh, very much what we were kind of idolizing in society and also missing, right? So it's something that's yeah. just the very term friends. I mean, if I had never even saw one show, just going like, a show called Friends that basically took the world by storm. It tells you something about the society we're in, you know? Yep, really um, does. Uh, was the, he depressed, yeah, by the way? This, yeah, I think he was, well, he was a substance, he had a substance abuse problem mm. for many years. I think it was like, started with pills, and uh, and then he was got sober, and then he struggled with his sobriety a lot. He started like a sober um, center for, for people because he was really passionate about that, I guess. And then I guess, though, he didn't die as a result of any kind of, to, to my knowledge, he just died as a, in a freak freak accident kind of mm-hmm. way. Yeah, so it wasn't suicide. In a hot tub, Pete. Oh, no, that's the way you want tub. to go. That is the way that know, you want dude. to go. I, I was, know. <laughs> I set you up for that. I was like, um, it's a hot. <laughs> I was, actually was like almost texted you when I found out. I was like, dude, <laughs> oh, stole yeah. our move, man. Yes, that is. I was like, uh, man, he made up so much for my personality, even down to loving hot tubs. Uh, I know. This guy's great. So. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think the last one, like, post he made was him hanging out in a hot tub. And it reminded me of, like, me and you in the hot tub in North Hollywood being like, this is great, splashing around. But I know, every um, now and, like, every six months, I get at least one photo on my iPhone of you <laughs> in a hot tub <laughs> from when we lived together, <laughs> smiling with a drink was- in your hand. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> dirty band-aids floating all around the uh, water. Oh, anyway, God, yeah. yeah, that was a rough spot. It was kind of, what, uh, what would you call it, like dirty chic, uh, like uh, poor yeah. rich. It was like a really yeah, shitty place. Nice. It was pretending that it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the kind of place that's really nice when you take a tour of it, and then you, you kind of look real close, and you're like, mm, I don't know, but uh, still miss yeah. it. It was very fun. Oh, yeah, very um, fun. It was no central perk where friends took place. But anyway, hmm. back to parasocial relationships. So oh, yeah. this idea of the people being in your living room growing up, I feel like, is very similar, uh, or a, a big part of it. And it is the origination, original, like, where these guys came up with the idea of the social, uh, or uh, parasocial relationship, or the parasocial interaction, as it was called, because it was right when TV, like, blew up. And so it was... Um, like in the fifties when these people were going, wait, people are in their homes and they're, they, they think they have a relationship with this person who doesn't uh, return anything. But then isn't that kind of all relationships to a degree? If, is there any relationship that is a 50, 50 all the time, uh, like thing? It seems like every relationship to a certain extent at certain moments, you're going to give a little more. They're going to give a little more. Why we gotta de- why we gotta demonize it so much? Why don't you just go like your pop star? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people definitely some people spend their lives giving a lot more, and some people spend their lives taking a lot more. But actually, those two types of people sometimes fit very neatly together because some people like you know kind of enjoy splurging and talking about their emotions, and some people like listening and doing whatever. But. Um, but yeah, a 50-50 would look very bizarre, you know? I don't know how that would work. Yeah, do you, uh, do you, you like listening, right? You're, you're a yeah, listener. I'm a listener. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I like it's not, and it's not like, oh, I'm a selfless. I just like it. Like, I pref- much prefer that to, to talking. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I was um, hanging with a friend the other night. Uh, I just keep mentioning that I have friends. I want people mm. to know that. But mm. um, it was a couple weeks ago, so I don't know why I'm lying. Um, it was longer than recently, maybe three weeks ago. Uh, at one point, I hung out with a friend, and he was talking to me about 
a dream he'd had and uh i was just blown away because i was listening to the dream you know this is what reminded me of that because you're talking about listening and i was like oh i'm really interested and then i kept listening and his dream kept going and going and going and i was like this is the longest dream i've ever i was like you had this whole dream i was like are you for real and he was like i have long dreams all the time and i was like that i was like i don't even know what to do i don't even i can't even i was like so wait this happened this happened this happened this happened he's like yeah yeah i was like that i have a dream and it's like two images and then i wake up and i go oh and then i wonder what was gonna happen but this was like the longest thing ever and the next uh, day i woke up and i texted him and i was like i got like eight hours of sleep last night and it still wasn't as long as that ridiculous <laughs> dream that you uh, <laughs> told me uh it didn't give him any comfort but uh yeah. anyway that was my tangent on that um anything i mean any what else can we yeah. talk about on this How, so, i don't want to stay too narrowly on this if it's not um if there's not more to mine well, no, I have a few more thoughts. Um, uh, you actually mentioned um, you mentioned the guy Kuhat, uh, 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 the object yeah, relations Heinz. psychoanalyst, um, and there's another guy. He's very famous in object relations called Fairburn. Um, yeah, Fairburn. Yeah, and I think, and here's here's why I'm not an object relations person. So I'll say why I'm critical of it, but then I think this will connect into. Uh, my thoughts on superfans. I know he would have thought. He would have thought. Um, but those guys, their their big thing is that uh, everything kind of comes out of like almost separation anxiety. Uh, well, with Fairburn, there's this. It's almost a very confessionally religious position. It's almost like the the child is a unary hole. Um, everything's kind of like yeah. pretty cool, and then there's a fall into language and. Uh, into anxiety and separation and everything kind of comes from that and he actually says it's almost like if there wasn't a failure we would stay in a in a in a state of wholeness that now he does say there's a necessary failure ever like your parents can never there'll always be a problem there'll always be something but it has this idea that there is a pre-fragmented position um obviously in kind of the lacanian thing it's the there the fall into language there's there is no kind of unary wholeness there's kind of like fragmentation is part of what it means to be human so that's my main disagreement with object relations but um in relation to the difference though well the difference Uh, is go ahead so it wouldn't lacan still say that it's not that the fragmentation happens around the time of the mirror phase or the fall into language yeah but not as a result of a failure um, it's we are creatures of language. We are linguistic creatures, and so in, to be a subject is to be divided. Uh, it's not that you're a pre-divided something, and then kind of because of a failure, because of a crisis, you end up with trauma. There's something inherently traumatic about being a subject, um, which I think is a very important difference because what that means is. In object relations, ultimately anxiety is around. So whenever they use the word object in psychoanalysis, as you know, an object is whatever your drive aims at. So, so something that that your drive orbits around. So you've got these objects, these people who you are attracted to sexually or whatever, and they, they kind of are the object of your drive. In So object relations, these objects are images of your maybe your parents, siblings, whatever. Um, in kind of Lacanian psychoanalysis, the ultimate object 
is what he calls object A, which is not an object. It's the ultimate, uh, I, the ultimate object of the drive is a lack. There's something missing, and that's what kind of gets everything moving. So you almost have an object relations like if you can get, if you can make your relationships good enough, if you can kind of overcome your yeah. bad relations in the past, you can kind of come to this, not wholeness again, but you can kind of overcome to a certain extent this dividedness. Whereas in kind of the Freudian, Lacanian sense, is there's no overcoming it. And the reason why I want to connect this, see if I can connect this with super fandom, is in the Feuerbachian sense, and I think maybe object relations would be like this too, is that, that the idea is I as a teenager project something onto uh, a, a star, a celebrity. Um, by the way, there's a crackling. Can you hear that crackling? Nope. I can. I think I've heard it before. I don't know if it comes up. Okay. It's I'll not too keep bad ignoring for me. It. <laughs> um, There's yeah. a, you know, I as a subject project onto this star uh, these ideals. One might say, well, now what I have to do is see that the things that I value in Taylor Swift, her creativity, her strength, her charisma, are all things that actually uh, I could take back into myself. And, you know, those are kind of potentially parts of who I potentially can be. So that's all very nice. But I would say that ultimately, for me, it's less about realizing that what we put onto the other is something that is a part of ourselves. And if only we could realize that we can all be like Taylor Swift or The Rock or whatever. Um, but actually, the more interesting thing is when we realize that the other who we think is whole and complete and has no alienation or separation within themselves actually is alienated that there's something very traumatizing about that but also curative um and there's a friend of mine who he's an actor a successful hollywood actor and he he has done very well and he has a very rabid super fan base but interestingly he has uh you know continues to act uh but has really had enough of hollywood and has left Hollywood and got a place pretty much in the middle of nowhere. And he doesn't talk very much about that. But I think as fans realize that, oh, all of the Hollywood dream that he seemed to have and the money and the power and all of the influence actually was profoundly uh, destabilizing to that person. And uh, that it was actually um, a painful thing that experience is actually what can free us. Like, as long as I'm fantasizing that, oh, I could be as famous and rich as Taylor Swift and I could have all of those things potentially, I just don't think that's curative. But when you realize that all those things um, are actually, even if you got them, wouldn't necessarily be good. If you're not a healthy person, they'll actually exacerbate your ill health. Um, and and realizing that and seeing that the other, that the celebrity is is a divided subject, is I say I think there's that's that's what breaks us from super fandom. Um nice. I uh my wife and I have had some more than one conversation about this kind of thing, and because partially why I want to talk about it, because the term parasocial relationship comes up once or twice a month, I feel like also just with other people but um the the my, the small experiences i've had uh and that she's had are i think the only way to navigate them without them destroying you 
is to just uh, not take it that seriously and realize that it's really not that big of a deal. Bo Burnham has this thing where he talks about like the way he handles it is he just takes the compliments the exact same way he takes the insults. So like, it's not that the insults don't matter. It's yes, the compliments yeah. don't matter too. like the, them telling you you're perfect also is not going to um, solve anything for you. But I will say that um, in terms of fame, my wife is on right now she got picked up by a finnish magazine wow. as of this morning and she's also on nbc <laughs> news because she um dressed up as an alien mom wow yeah so i mean yes yeah. <laughs> she's she's getting she's made it into um it's like dude there's this one where it's like all of these celeb halloween costumes and it goes from paris hilton and the next one is grace like in the gray <laughs> outfit like completely like <laughs> it was incredibly oh, funny but uh yeah that having a um realizing that it's fame is an empty cup is definitely helpful and also though do you feel that like the super fans of taylor swift are going i need to i guess they are going like i need to be her like i want to be her i want uh, like when she's dating a football player, when she's, you know, on a world tour, they do yeah. want that. All right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I was trying to be more yeah. clever about it. But, but here, can I, okay. can I use you, you and Grace as a, an example of what I'm talking about, actually? Because I think that both of you have done exactly what I'm talking about. Like, so, for example, connections I wanted to make before the connection broke uh, was that it's funny that you did something similar to Friends uh, whenever you came to LA or whatever and the, oh. the, the group that you had with uh, source fed is not the t name of the group it was a group of friends hanging out on couches doing skits funny warm so it very much interestingly reflected the friends kind of model and but what's interesting to me is that people put onto you projected onto that group all of these things that they wanted uh, they, in a sense, that was an alienation process. They loved what they were seeing on screen, but potentially didn't have those things in their own lives. They were alone in a room watching YouTube, but they were getting something. It was like they needed that. That's why taking that away would have been terrible, because if you took it away, then you'd just be confronted with your loneliness. So you provide this security blanket. That's all great. But what you did, um, partly, I think, by design and partly just your personality or whatever is you guys became more and more honest about the reality that you were regular people like over the years it became less of a kind of like oh yes we're this idealized friendship group that you can project all the stuff onto and became more and more transparent that hey these there's lots of difficulties in terms of friendships relationships business there's and, and kind of like presenting some of that online and for me this is vital because the individual projects onto you you allow them to project onto you all this perfection all this greatness they idealize they project they, sorry they split they do all of that and then what you do instead of uh kind of playing up to that is very gradually you disillusion them because now they've projected onto you something and now you can begin to say to them hey there's great stuff about this but also there's lots of difficulties, lots of traumas. We're all trying to be human. And that can allow the person to very gradually access those dimensions of themselves. And uh, I honestly think you have done that. You... Well, thanks, man. I think uh, that's a good, I'm happy to hear that. Cause I was thinking about that. Yeah. With 
especially with the valley folk and our little breakup that happened the um after in the aftermath because we did i don't think we did a great job of uh of of slowly decoupling that you know or breaking down that image we did it very abruptly and probably very rudely and um better choices could have been made but afterward there were like people who wrote handwritten letters apologizing like pages of them uh for projecting for being for like our own audience being like no i understand now that i got really angry at you guys and that i was projecting and i was thinking about that recently and i was like oh that's interesting like it took it also took me seeing that like the audience going oh i'm project oh we're projecting on this or whatever for me to go wait a minute what is it about us that is the hook for the projection instead of just being like oh they're just projecting like well you're projecting so it doesn't matter it's like i think it goes both ways where it's informative for me to read these things and to see that that action happening because i can go oh i can better understand the reaction and where we went wrong based off of their projection rather than just like outright um dismissing it and so i was like oh that's kind of goes back that also goes against the parasocial relationship because here it is you know with the idea of like oh we're untouchable or it's only one-sided but then it was also there was an interplay going on and i thought that was kind of neat and so it's all part of this and on what you're talking about with like the people watching stuff and they're at home and they're you know projecting and it's kind of like friends we're experiencing it now like 100 percent on the reverse angle because grace with the chemo is like sick and so she's watching youtube again and like we're both rediscovering some youtubers that we now watch together like as soon as they have a new video and it's like become this really strange flip where it's like man i bet we would all be friends we would have fun hanging out with them they seem great and it's like very wholesome and nice but i'm like oh it's happening this is still like yes, you can't avoid yes. this it's i know great. Okay, well, here, let, let me give an example then of what how maybe this could work at its best is that say i'm the lonely individual watching you on source fed or on valley cast valley folk um and i'm like going oh i feel lonely i'm i don't have very many friends and i'm looking at you and you know wishing i had the friendship circle and friendship group you have so i'm projecting all of that onto you that's a way for me to protect myself from that loneliness so i'm i feel like i'm your friend i feel like i'm friends with all of those people and so it's a defense mechanism that protects me from a suffering however then i find out more from you and you know you say things like which you do in the fundamentalist is I don't really hang out with very many people, you know, God, you know, when's the last time I saw a friend? It was like three weeks ago, right? And so suddenly I go, not that you're saying to me, hey, you can have the friendships that I have. You can be like me. You're kind of saying, no, I, I'm lonely too. I find it difficult to go out. And hey, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I, the problems that you have that you're projecting onto me, actually some of those I share. What happens then is I am more likely to accept that part of myself suddenly i go okay so in other words i'm less alone because you're alone as well like where we overlap is our, is our loneliness and so i feel less alone because i'm like oh that's part of life even you guys who i think have got these great friendships and you're always hanging out oh my god it must be such a laugh and you're saying well no it's like it's you know i've, I've spent i've spent the last three weeks and i haven't seen anybody what what you've done is i think it's like a transitional object you've 
allowed me to project my ideal onto you. That's a wonderful thing because it's protected me against my suffering. But now very, very subtly by saying things like, yeah, I get lonely too, I then can confront that dimension of myself that I've been avoiding, that I've been projecting out. And I can probably be less lonely because weirdly by accepting the loneliness, I feel less lonely. And then also that might make it easier for me to go out and do something. So that, that's maybe the rule of celebrity for me at its best. I don't think that's what happens most of the time. I think celebrities most of the time hide that dimension in order to sell products, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if a celebrity can see that part of my rule is to allow the projection and then in a sense help that person then reclaim or look at those difficult parts of themselves, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, I just want to reiterate that I am not lonely. I have a lot of friends. I hang out with people all the time. I am partying nonstop. Um, I definitely, I'm going to be Zooming with some friends tonight. And I had another friend. I have another friend somewhere that I can't think of off the top of my head. But I, I'm sure uh, Pete, we're friends. And this is friend, This is friends. So, um, and Pete is Pete's yes. whole. And don't let him fool you. Because he'll talk a lot about lack and, um, and, and the incompleteness. But he's... Uh, Yes. He's thriving. So uh, on that note, thank you very that I thought that was a great um, little piece you did there, uh, Pete. So I think we can end this. How do you yeah, feel? I feel good. I'm, I, that can be my little takeaway. Do you have a takeaway on this? Um, and also, I'm interested in, in a takeaway partly because you have more than me experienced the other side. As most people have never experienced what it's like to be the person that people project onto. Um, but you have at various points in your life and continue to have have that and grace has that you know so uh oh yeah uh it's a wild thing i think it's really wonderful one of the things that i was talking about in therapy was the um the presence of people on the internet uh during difficult times is really nice like and especially when it's not defining your life but when it's just people supporting uh everything that grace and by proxy i'm going through it's really like a beautiful thing and it is kind of like oh man this it's so easy to take it for granted but uh it is really good and when people like i think there's a lot of growing up together that can happen between the person who's doing the projecting and the person who's getting projected on like i don't feel like i'm the same person that i was when i was 20 it freaks me out when these creators act like they're still like the same exact age or the same exact person as they were 50. And I'm like, I think that's what you're talking about where at some point you got to go like, no, like you got to like, let's, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm yeah. a human or whatever, a lacking subject, yes. as you might say. But uh, I, I don't know if I think profound, except to say that I think that it, that parasocial relationships are probably more of a, um, they're not as bad as in one sided oh, yeah. as yeah. people think, I guess, would yeah. be the only I mean I and I yeah, I think that That's like not... if if a parasocial relationship is anything, it's a defense. Oh, we all have defenses and as you know, but people often don't is that uh defenses are neither good nor bad in themselves. Like they're really our character. If you're funny that's probably your way and you wouldn't know this but if you're funny it's probably your way <laughs> um, of like defending against suffering like often making your suffering into something humorous is a defense but it's not a bad defense in fact it's a great defense in many ways it's a gift to people so defenses aren't good or bad in themselves some are more primitive um 
you know, acting out is more primitive where you in your actions uh, show your inner life. Um, you know, so but anyway, but this idea of parasocial relationship could be seen as a form of defense. It's, it's something we do potentially because we feel anxious in the world. We feel alienated. There's a lack of meaning. We're struggling with financial issues. We're struggling with, with how to deal with others. And the parasocial relationship isn't bad. Where it becomes a problem, like alcohol, you know, alcohol is not a bad thing. A couple of drinks is fine, but is when um, it becomes the thing that we need and we rapidly hold on to it as a way of avoiding a confrontation with ourselves. And that's why I think responsible celebrities or celebrities who are able to take the projection and then see themselves and part of their role as very sensitively um, helping the individual confront the parts of themselves that they are projecting out onto the other. Just like a good musician, a good singer songwriter can kind of help you look at your own suffering, can help you mourn, can help you work through a broken relationship. You go to Ben Folds, for example, because you want a good night out, you want to listen to a good musician. And while you're sitting there, he helps you reflect on the difficult parts of what it is to be human. You put it into symbolic language and, uh, and you feel better for it. So there you go. Ben Folds does it for me 100% of the time. That dude carried me through my divorce, basically, and I appreciate him very much for it. So that's another, the whole idea of music, of just being like, this, this is it. This is exactly what I'm going through. That, I hope, never goes away. I hope I'm 90 years old. I'm like, no, this is awesome. This is really hitting the spot. They get me. They understand what I'm going through, but that's maybe slightly different. Uh, All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to this. You can always head to patreon.com slash fundamentalists if you want. We're going to do stuff there eventually, but right now I'm just impressed with us being on a roll. So, my lord, Uh, please tell people about the podcast. We are wanting to eventually be able to do some ads to support it, and uh, so tell your friends about it if you have any. (laughs) Anything else, Pete? No, that's me. Lovely to see you. I'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.